You're tuned into episode 25 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who've decided to record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Like Trojan horses coming up to the gates, knocking on your ears, and stabbing you in the brain with our comics commentary. We're back. <laughs> Almost. Almost, Kale. <laughs> Almost nailed it. Listen, guys, I'm no Phil, all right? <laughs> Speaking of Phil, you know, he said last week that if something happened, that if he wasn't here this week, that something must have happened to him. I don't know where he is. I didn't do anything to him. You know, we we didn't do anything to him. Sean, you gotta you gotta say no comment. <laughs> yeah, no, I have no comment. <laughs> no comment. I don't know. Yeah, no comment on the whereabouts of. I Phil. plead the fifth. <laughs> I pl- I I plead the fifth. <laughs> if, <laughs> oh man, it took a second, but it got there. If if you happen to spot Phil, there are many ways you can let us know about his whereabouts. You can hit us up on iTunes, and you can while you're telling us where Phil is, you can leave us a five star rating, and we really appreciate it. We are a five star rated podcast. We're very proud of that. So let's keep that train rolling. Uh, you can hit us up on all the social medias: Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the Comics Pals. You can hit us up at Gmail. You can write to us at Gmail at the Comics Pals at Gmail dot com. That's at the Comics Pals at Gmail dot com. And finally, you can write to us on YouTube. YouTube is very important to us. You can like the video. You can share it with your friends. You can leave a comment. And you can subscribe to the channel. We really appreciate that. That's the best way to help us out. So please do so. Um, And yeah, just let us know where Phil is if you happen to see him. Drop us a line at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Yes, please. (laughs) So today we happen to have a special guest. Uh, he is a good friend of Kale. He is a tremendous artist, and we're very happy to have him. So let's introduce Nori to the show. Welcome, Nori. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on, Nori. <laughs> so Nori's Nori's going to be with us uh, today, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about what he's been up to, and he's going to stick around and do the full show with us, which for which I'm very excited. So let's jump right into it. And talk about what we've been reading this week. Pete, why don't you start us off? <laughs> Thanks for putting me on blast, Sean. I did not read this week because I was sick. <laughs> the time I had allotted to read comics before the show was lost to being in bed and watching reruns of Community. So Nice. Not a horrible way to spend the day, but I, I, didn't, I wasn't feeling well. <laughs> that sucks. Uh, hopefully next week. You get to you get to uh, catch up. I'm hoping so. I picked up a bunch of this stuff from the the Hanna Barbera, um, whatever universe oh, nice. shit that DC's been doing from last year. So it's been like on my to read list for a long time, and it's like burning a hole in my pocket. So yeah, I'm excited yeah, I to jump into it. I can't wait to read Future Quest. That's gonna be so. That's gotta be so dope. Yeah, I got Future Quest and Flintstones, so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Flintstones are good. Future Quest, I couldn't get into for whatever reason. It wasn't. It wasn't my bad. I love Space Ghost, so I really want to give it a shot. Oh, and I got I got Space Ghost um, Green Lantern too. They did a crossover, yeah. and I, I picked that up at the uh, at the comic book store the other day. So uh, I'll have I'll have thoughts on those next week. Awesome. Uh, I also didn't read anything this week. I I've been trying to catch up on Luke Cage. I never finished it. Nice. And I decided to go back and do that. How many episodes it's, in are you? Uh. 
nine. Okay. I think. So you're getting close yeah. to the end. Yeah. It's unfortunate because the best part of it's like well behind you at this point. That's funny because uh, my girlfriend and I felt like the the episode we probably enjoyed the most this season was episode eight, which is after what you're referencing. Yeah, I, that's the, the thing is like I don't think that the series totally falls off after the point that I'm talking about. But like I feel like the first like six or so episodes are very clearly like a great arc. And then there's a bunch of stuff that happens afterwards. Yeah. At, at, when I was watching the eighth episode, I was thinking, I actually said, wait, there's five more of these. Right. Like, it, it felt like, you know, okay, this is where we end. Like, this, that would have been a perfectly appropriate place to end. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you could have done one more, you know, eight and nine and then called it a day. I mean, I'm not through the ninth, so, or, I, you know, I just ended at the ninth, so I don't know how the show, if you know, if it sticks, it's landing, but... It definitely felt like they could have just wrapped it up. But. I don't know, man. It definitely – and, like, I loved Luke Cage quite a bit. I definitely, like <clears> – <throat> I've sung its praises on the show, but uh, I definitely think that, like, it has a very, like, American horror story kind of problem where it's, like, you hit a very clear, like, this is a good end point. Let's start wrapping things up. And then they're, like, wait, we have a half a season left. Let's introduce new plots. And it's, like, uh, there's not really enough time to develop any of this stuff, and it just ends up feeling rushed. Yeah. I was also a little bit surprised about Diamondback, uh, but we'll save that for you know another uh, yeah for our time, Defenders episode. Um, Marco, um, so this week I only got to like maybe I got to two books. Um, on the our group message, I've been reading um, as I've told you guys, New Frontier, and it's been such a really really awesome ride. Like it's a it's such an awesome story. It feels really really pure and just. Um, it tackles a lot of things that I didn't expect, uh, civil rights, the, uh, like spies, the feeling of just uneasiness in the cold war era. Like this, this sort of stuff played, played really well with the use of Superman and Wonder Woman as like propaganda. It was just really, really cool book. I'm, I'm about halfway through closer to like three quarters. Uh, and it's just been an awesome superhero thrill ride for me. And the other book I read was a French graphic novel called Beautiful Darkness. Um, it's like a it's a really weird horror story about these cute little uh, these cute little like like these little characters, right? They're these they're these little people that live inside other people. But when <clears throat> for those of you at home, Marco's showing us a, a image from the cover of these very small, yeah, yeah. childlike. I, I posted it on um, on Instagram, so you might be able to find it. It's one of the ones with like five books, um, and they reside inside of humans. But once the humans, once human, those humans die, they kind of just fall out, and then they have to survive out in the wilderness. But it's a really weird blend. Sounds like a metaphor for pregnancy. Huh. I don't know, because everyone, everyone just ends up dying in really, really awful, gruesome ways. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, my point stands. All right, very fair, fair. <laughs> um, and um, that's all I got to this week. Um, but also really weird and creepy. Awesome. All right. Uh, Kale? 
Yeah, so I had a very uh, traditional superhero week this week. I started uh, Captain America and the Avengers on my Super Nintendo, and that game is impossible. Uh, I don't know how anybody can do anything with that game ever. Um, and, it, and and the thing I don't like about it especially is that it doesn't have, like, passcodes or anything. Uh, like, the Power Rangers had, like, you know, codes where you can just go back to your, you know, the level you're at. This yeah. one doesn't have that. Like, if you yeah, they just want you to get good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I'm going to give it the chance. Like, I don't have time for that. I warned you back on the Video Game Pals episode, episode. that that game was trash. Yeah. <laughs> I should have listened. I also did uh, the first volume of Tom King's Batman. Um, and I know you've talked a lot about that, Sean. I, I did like it. Um, it wasn't my favorite. Um, and that's that's not I don't say that to diminish my enjoyment of it at all. I can see how you would like it. I'm really excited to keep going with it. Um, it seems like it's going to be yeah decent. Um, I did uh, Spider Gwen, um, and seeing uh, Aunt May and seeing Aunt May and uh, Uncle Ben, uh, you know, alive was really cool. Uh, they interact with uh, uh, Gwen as Spider-Woman, and that's uh, really cool. Uh, but the thing I really wanted to talk about the most was uh, X-Men Blue. Um, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I picked that up uh, late last night, and uh, I, I'm not sorry. I, I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> okay i didn't know where that was going <laughs> um it's definitely it definitely feels like a you know a regular old x-men book you know they've got a couple twists and turns um and i won't i won't spoil like the the big secret ending but there's a thing that i i have a little bit of a problem with but i'm gonna wait to see where it goes okay so quick question um are are the teams in these books actually the teams from the old blue and gold teams? I couldn't tell you because I, I don't. I don't. I, know, I don't. I know think we so. talked about it forever ago, but I don't remember. Um. Okay, yeah, they're not. Uh, blue, I didn't. I didn't think so. Blue is the original five, and uh, this isn't going to be a spoiler or anything because it's in the ad it, copy. I think. Uh, no, wait, is it the original five? Like the actual original five, or the original five from the past? Or are they gone now? No, they're not gone. It's the it's the it's the original five from the past. Okay. The the original five <laughs> that are kids. Uh so the the uh professor role in this book is is covered by uh Magneto. Uh and he he only shows up in like the last, you know, page. He gets a full, you know, splash. Um and it's like a, uh, it's a very ominous look. So, you know, it's one of those things that it makes you go, oh, are the X-Men okay? They're probably doing bad because they're, you know, being taught by Magneto or whatever. But also, Magneto was sort of kind of good the last time I checked. I don't know where he stands anymore, really. Well, in Inhumans, in Inhumans versus X Men, he kind of, he he kind of sort of betrays them. Like he he sides with Emma Frost, who's now 
basically a villain and was trying to kill the Inhumans uh, for her own, like, vendetta. And he sides with her on that. So I interpreted that as him sort of becoming a villain again. I guess they're not going with that. Or maybe they are. Yeah, because it it definitely looked, you know, like a traditional, like, villain introduction. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, I feel Um, like either way that has interesting implications for that team. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And especially because, you know, they're the original five from the 1960s. So, you know, they they fought evil Magneto like a week ago. So who wrote the book? Uh, Cullen Bunn is uh, is the yeah the Cullen Bunn. I don't, I don't really like his work too much. Yeah, his I'm superhero not. stuff is whatever. I liked his I liked his uh, Magneto um, when I when I read it the first uh, couple of volumes. I think uh, Magneto goes out on a you know a sort of anti like Green Arrow, Green Lantern, hard traveling heroes road trip and uh. I don't know, demolish the demolishes some jerks and um it was it was really good anyway uh but yeah I'm interested to see where this goes the second thing was uh after after the the mission with the the original five there there's a section of the book in like what looks to be like a snowy Canadian wilderness and there's a hairy blonde guy with a, a beard and and the wendigo and uh, the hairy blonde guy has three metal claws that come out of his hand. Uh, so I wanted to get to Nori, and I want to ask you what you're reading these days. You know, what books tickle your fancy? Yeah. Um, so I've been reading loads of stuff recently. Um, I got a proper job, so I can afford to read comics again. So I've just been catching up on stuff and buying a whole bunch of new things that I've missed. Um, this week, I started reading Extremity from Image. It's kind of—I don't know how to describe. It really, it's really cool. It's—it's it's sort of really inspired by Akira, I think. Um, but it's set in this floating island world with lots of like weird clans and stuff. It's like a barbarians on hover bikes, I guess. That sounds really cool. But it's super violent. But it's awesome. It's really cool. So it's in the second issue now. Um, don't really know much to say about it. It's cool. Check it out. Um, and I picked up uh, the Marvel True Believers giant-sized X-Men reprint um, for like 65 pence here. So what's that? Like 80, 80 cents in America, give or take? Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't really know. Anyway, that's not aged well. <laughs> um, yeah, some of the dialogue's a bit iffy. I think there's one point Thunderbird calls uh, Sunfire a Jap. So. Oh, no. <laughs> and then there's Banshee with his Irish accent calling people laddie. Anyway. <laughs> it's funny to see but they've like they've released a whole bunch of these right so next week i'm getting new mutants issue one um x-force issue one the might be that might be x-force but it's like cable and the new mutants or something like that so it's rob liefeld 
sorry, came up with Capo and, and everything. So, <laughs> Kale's just vomiting everywhere. Um, yeah, Kale's a huge Rob Liefeld fan. No, it's like really cheap to pick up. So, I thought, why not? Um, another thing I've been enjoying recently is Nova Marvel book. I've no idea who Nova is. He's got the unfortunate name of being called Dick Ryder. I think Richard Ryder, <laughs> which I picked up instantly. Um, but it's not really about him. It's about this new guy, um, Sam, who's the new Nova. He's a teenager. Barely a teenager. Is he like 13, 14 or something like that? But it's um, looks really cool. Artist is Ramon Perez, who's really, really good. The writing's pretty fun. Um, it doesn't take itself too seriously. And yeah, I'm not really a big superhero guy, but I've been yeah. following that, and it's pretty cool. So that's what I've been reading recently. Yeah. So you're not a big superhero guy, so you like to read what more indie stuff? Um, yeah, just whatever takes my fancy. I think um, like something like Beautiful Darkness is something that's been coming up recently. Um, what up? That's the kind of book that I wouldn't necessarily pick up straight away, but if somebody sort of mentions it but it just looks so weird and the concept of it's so weird and it the book is really weird it's not it's got like this sweet kind of facade but like once you start opening it it's like oh this is grotesque <laughs> yeah um, definitely. I, I like a lot of european comics i'm catching up on uh valerian because there's cool, that movie yeah. coming out look best on valerian which looks pretty cool it's meant to be the yeah. spiritual successor for the fifth element which is like one of my favorite films even though it's just euro trash but i love it so much <laughs> <laughs> oh i love that movie too um, yeah what else do i read i'm just i'm just looking at the bookshelf here there's there's a whole bunch of stuff um it's just really whatever takes my fancy like it doesn't have to be like an indie book there's there is like Marvel stuff that I like, like Nova, um, but I like, um, oh God, like Criminal. I've read a lot of Criminal, um, and now it's going into this really weird 70s exploitation kind of thing. There was a, there was like a Conan criminal story, and there was just a, like a Kung Fu werewolf criminal story, which is awesome. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm like open to anything. I read anything. If it's good, it's good. If it's trash, it's trash, and I'll trash it. <laughs> awesome. So I actually got the opportunity to check out some of your work, which I was really impressed by. Um, I I thought I thought Snowbound was actually really, really, really cool. And and you actually wrote and uh, drew that, right? Yeah, I did. Um, I think wrote's a generous word. <laughs> I came up with with an idea, and I actually um, like once I drawn it and I like I colored it, I lettered the whole thing my, myself. Um, it was only when I'd colored it that I went back and I actually put the dialogue in. It was started done on the fly, but I, like I had the idea and I just did it. And then I was like, oh, I should probably put some speaking in, and I went around it in a haphazard way. But it got there, I think. That's cool. Yeah, definitely. That's cool, man. That's uh, that's like a very classic kind of approach. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the Marvel method, isn't it? Isn't that what Stanley used to do? Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. Other people do the work and then you'd be like, oh, <laughs> just come in at the last minute and write it all in. <laughs> so fans who are listening right now, you know, they might not know too much about you. So I kind of want to ask you a few general Don't questions. Don't know anything about you. Yeah. Um, how did you develop your love for comics? Um, it's just always been there. It's kind of hard to think of a time where it's not been about comics. Uh, in in the UK, um, should I say I'm from Scotland? I'm in Scotland. You yeah. probably mentioned that, right? I'm in Dundee, Scotland, the sunniest city in Scotland, and it's very sunny here today. <laughs> so, um, like, comics here is they're they're huge, but they're not huge in the way you would expect. They're lots of newspaper strips and strips for kids like the Beano and the Dandy, which are like um, Beano's got like our version of Dennis the Menace, where he's just like this thug. <laughs> like this brute, this bully. Um, so like every kid grows up reading that, then you find out that there's better things to be to be reading. Um, it's just like the way that it fell in my sort of time was manga was getting really big. Like towards the end of the 80s and the late 90s, manga was like becoming more available when anime was coming out on video and there were basically connected right my my brother would buy this magazine that had a whole bunch of manga reprints in it and one of them was akira and i just like yeah i went from reading these hokey little stories about people throwing pies in each other's faces and then to this <laughs> crazy black and white thing where people were using their their minds to to do these superpowers and everyone's riding these cool motorcycles and that was just that was just the start of it you know just onwards from there. Cool. So you would say that Akira was kind of like your, like that thing that really drove you into being a comics fan as opposed to just being another kid that was reading oh, comics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like, it's not to say that I'd only read the Beano. Like I had like some, it's like everybody gets like comics passed down to them from like a family member, right? From a cousin or a brother or an uncle or something. And we had these bunch of old comics and I've still got some of them. There's like a Punisher comic from 1988 or something. He's going undercover in this motorcycle gang. So he's got this big mustache and like open shirt <laughs> with his chest out and it's ridiculous. And I've kept it because it's so hilarious. But like that kind of stuff's not going to like, it depends who you are as a person, but it's not going to like focus you on comics and be like, oh my God, comics are amazing. Um, so Akira was like the first it ain't gonna pass itself yeah. down, right? <laughs> so yeah, Akira was like the first the first thing that I was like, people are doing comics like this. This is insane. So um what would you say then, I guess taking it to like the next level is when did you know that you wanted to like make comics yourself? Was it like from that moment when you got into Akira or was it, you know, you started reading more and more comics and then that kind of you started drawing or whatever? Can you like kind of take us on that yeah, journey? Yeah, sure. Um I didn't know you could make comics. I did like it sounds stupid. Like I didn't know people did that. I just assumed that you you went to the shop and you bought this comic, and that's how it was. It just came into being. Um, <laughs> but then I um I, I think from like an early age, the plan was always for me to go into art school. Like my most of my family had gone to art school, um, and it just I just started drawing at an early age. Uh, then just 
it never even occurred to me to do comics. So you like to draw before you, you even read comics or before you were seriously into them? For some reason, I thought I could be a painter. <laughs> Classical <laughs> painter. I don't know why. Uh, I can't paint. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, that was the plan. And then it was like I discovered heavy metal. Not the comic, the music. And and then I got a guitar and I was like, all right, this is it. <laughs> uh, so I got a guitar on the time where like um, new metal was getting really big. So like Limp Bizkit, Linkin Park. And I like everyone I knew was listening to those bands. And I was just like, Metallica, Megadeth. Yeah, I'm going to be like a, <laughs> the next heavy metal band. That's going to be awesome. And I just stopped drawing completely. And, and then... When I stopped drawing, I got accepted into art school. And then I was like, oh, it's like I should learn how to draw now. <laughs> and then I never did. <laughs> and that was the thing. Um, so then I went into I went into art school hoping to become an animator. I wanted to do animation. Uh, I wasn't good enough. So I was kind of like, well, what am I going to do now? And then around that time, I, I started reading Hellboy. They collected editions of that. And I think that was the first time where I was like, oh, hold on, like he's drawn this. Like I know how to do this, but no, no, I, I know how to do this. I know how to go about doing this. Like I could, I could be doing this. So then I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I feel like there's a lot of false starts along the way, but anyway, um, it took me a while to get around to it, but it took me about four or five years after I realized I wanted to do it before I started doing it. Then, um, after that, went to the Masters, the Emlet, and Dundee Comic Studies. And that's just been the way it's been going since like three three years. So j just to rewind real quick. So you said that you, you Hellboy was kind of this watershed moment for you where you realized, okay, like people make comics. I could make comics. Um, but then you said you didn't make comics for four years, five years. Oh, yeah, definitely. So... Well, like, why? Why? Like, you had that moment, and you had that aha moment, but why didn't you start making a comic right then? And Or maybe a better question is, what was it five years later that got you to make the first comic? Well, like, comics are really hard to do, and I was lazy. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, really lazy. You're preaching to the choir. <laughs> it, it's to, to draw a comic is really hard. Like, you've got to be able to know how to draw, and then you've got to know how to draw a comic. It's like, they're two different things. And I just, I wasn't at that point where I thought I could do it or wanted to do it that badly. So then I left it and then I had no option to not do it by the time I got around to where I was. Which is, it's really weird to hear all that because the whole time I've known you uh, from the master's course at Dundee, um, I've always known you to be at that's you know that corner spot uh in front of the drawing table uh in in our studio just working away just as much as like possible like like it's it's insane for me to hear you go oh no i was just lazy i i just wasn't i just wasn't doing it <laughs> that's the truth though i was lazy that's why i worked so hard like i worked my ass off because i had to pay for that course myself so <laughs> like once you start paying for something yourself you realize like okay yeah I'm going to do this now. So. so would you say that it was the master's program that really motivated you to like make your first comic? Like, was that kind of where it really started? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, it's kind of it's kind of weird because like there was a whole bunch of stuff just happening at the same time around that time. Um, there was like a there's a, a comics book sort of anthology that started up around the time that I started going to the Masters called Treehouse. It's just like a black and white anthology of just random things, and it was like a good way to start making comics. Because then all of a sudden, like, you've got this issue coming out, you've got a deadline that's four pages, okay, you've got, like, a month to do it. That's going to force you to do it. And then as I'm in the Masters, it's it's uh, it was a pretty tough course. There's a lot of writing on it. Like, it's, it's an English course. And because it's comics, you think it will be pretty, not easy, you know? I don't want to say easy. You think you'll be able to, like... Like, like make comics. Like, that's what I went in for was, like, the creative angle. And it ended up, ended up being more of a literature course. Yeah, there's a lot of discussing, debating, and, and picking pieces apart like they're proper books, like uh-huh. you would do with Shakespeare or mm-hmm. or, or something like that. Um, I forgot what my point was. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I think you were just you were talking about how you kind of got into the master's program and and what that meant for you for making comics was that you know you realized the reality of what it all kind of took and yes. so who are your greatest influences as a creator as kale points to himself (laughs) nori how dare you not make that joke okay awards for stars oh thank you and here's what i appreciate the most about that is that you look at your bookshelf to to make sure (laughs) it's like think of anything um like I like yeah I mean like Akira is a huge influence so like Katsuhiro Otomo, Mike Mignola obviously, um, Mobius, uh, but I like a lot of like American guys like I'm really huge fan of Alex Toth, um, so I like all the guys that have kind of offshoot from him like you know like Chris Somney and and um, I can never pronounce his name. Um, Tonshi Sojik. <laughs> oh. I'm probably butchering that. Yeah, but, um, yeah. He, they, he's the guy doing uh, Lobster Johnson right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like a lot of guys who are sort of minimalist in their in their styles, but quite heavy with inks as well. Um, I like inks. I'm a very inky person. And that's true in your personality too. <laughs> yeah, I'm a scruff. <laughs> so let's let's talk about Snowbound a little bit. Because I, I I thought it was really interesting. I, I, I don't know. Is there a second issue? Uh, there, there is going to okay. be, yeah. Because I, I read the first one, and I, I, I really enjoyed it. But I it, it kind of left me in a moment where I really wanted there to be more, which is the sign of something working. Uh, why don't you kind of take me through the process of you creating that and what inspired you to create it and all of what went into that. Uh, yeah. So I like Conan. And I wanted to do a Conan book without getting sued. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty much the reason for doing it. Um, I based it on Macbeth as well. Because uh, I thought, you know, that's important literature. People will think I'm intelligent, which was basically <laughs> the reasoning behind it. <laughs> uh, and then I just like, I just sat down and I, I just like, I thought it out. I wrote some notes and I just started doing it. Like that's the most important thing to be doing in comics is just like 
don't sort of jumble up too much and just don't confuse yourself. Just sit down and just start doing it and just start making comics. Um, that was just, it was just really, a, I, it was just a comic I wanted to make. I just wanted to see it. I thought that would be cool if like Conan he meets this witch, you know, and it's like kind of like Macbeth and she's going to tell him like the fate of him becoming a king. And that was it. And then, but I will, I will say the coloring in it, like I had to ask a couple of people how to color something because I'm not really a colorist. I don't really work with a lot of color. I, I, I like black and white inks. Um, so it became more of a technical exercise of like how well I could do that book by myself. And then it was just like, well, I can, I can write this, I can draw it, I can learn how to color it and yeah, sure. I'll letter it as well. Why not? And I'll put it together. I'll do the production. So it became more of a, more of a challenge just to see if I could do it, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I really thought it was uh, good stuff. And then I've been on your, I've been on your Twitter page and checking out a lot of your drawings. And I, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke because you're here. You you really do have a lot of talent. Um, what are you working on right now that's, you know, coming down the pipe? Um, so I'm working with my friend, the Kale will know, Aaron, Aaron Keepers. Um, we're working on this sci-fi story. It's going to be for tablets. It's going to be digital, exclusively digital. So with the comics page, it's, uh, it's vertical up and up to down so this one's horizontal so everything's widescreen so it's like a widescreen movie that's very cool it's been great like um i thought it wouldn't take me that long but it turns out like every page that you do is like a double page splash so it's like double the work (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's uh it's a sci-fi story it's we we pitched it as uh, mobius meets mad max so it's these huh esoteric deserts with crystals and things and then kind of junky vehicles and stuff. So that's been a lot of fun to do. Um, that should be finishing up pretty soon, just getting the last pages together for that and then getting the layer and that'll be, that'll be it done. Awesome. And then when can we expect issue two of snowbound? Um, hopefully July. I want to say July. I want to say June, but that would be a lie. <laughs> I've been, um, it's not that I've been putting it off. It's just, there's been, there's always something else that comes up in the way. And cause this is just like, it's my story. So if I want to get any kind of sort of money from anything else, I have to take up that job and do that first. Um, and there's been a lot of different things happening, getting in the way of that. So pencil yeah. in July. Okay. Well, July, July is, uh, you know, right around the corner. Um, I <laughs> so you've got that work to look forward to. Uh, I'm actually on your website right now, and I just wanted to shout out this cover that you did—the wraparound cover for Snowbound. This is really nice. I, I really like this. Can you tell us where we can find you on the internet? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Prehistoric Frog. Uh, <laughs> um, Instagram. Just Nori Miller, uh, N-O-R-R-I-E, Miller with an A-R. I just read an article that had my name in it, which called me Norris, Norris Miller. <laughs> Norris I've never Miller. thought I've had a particularly difficult name, but I've yet to see an article that 
nails it. It's either Miller with ER or some weird mutant version of Nori. And then your website is? Uh, norimiller.wordpress.com. But you've just reminded me that I need to update that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I tend to use more social media than, than the website. So for more up-to-date happenings, follow me on, on Instagram and Twitter. But for a, a window to the past, you can go into on the WordPress site. Um, <laughs> I wanted to uh, to give a specific shout out to um, the um, hashtag Meet the Artist thing you did on uh, Instagram, like back in January, just because under cool you put Dragon Age. So I already liked you, but now we're just best friends. So I say we just let's just replace Phil, guys. I mean, like we already we already murdered him and hit his body somewhere. I <laughs> I thought we said no Allegedly. comment. Uh, who listens this far into the show? You think the cops are listening <laughs> this far in? <laughs> I feel implicated, and I, I didn't, I don't, I wasn't comfortable. A likely story, Kale. You're the one who had the most beef with Phil. <laughs> so, um, if we want to buy your stuff, where can we do that? Um, if you want to pick up a copy of Snowbound, you can go to comichouse.com. That's Comic House with H-A-U-S. Uh, there's some copies of it to order on there, and I will ship worldwide for a price. <laughs> Other than that, you can hunt me down at conventions. <laughs> That's probably the other way to do it. I was in New York Comic Con in October. Really? Was, yeah. It was a pretty crazy experience. The conventions in here in Scotland are, they're a decent size. Um, I don't want to slack them off or anything because I love them. Um, but going to New York for like four days was just insane. It was just like the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and so many people went over so many rooms. Um, so that was cool. But we, we, we brought a bunch bunch of stuff to sell there as well. So um, hopefully I get to do more international cons as well this year. So. Yeah. Do you plan on coming to New York Comic Con this year? I don't know if I'd want to do it again. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that would be good. If I could make it over, that would be incredible. Uh, expensive. I think, it's, I think it's quite expensive to get a table there if you're a, like an independent kind of seller i think that's like the main issue like uh, some people were griping and grumbling throughout the con you can kind of hear that and i think that's the main issue it's very expensive for indie guys to, to book the table on the floor and there's no way they can sell as much of their merchandise to make back that money even covering the table like right. forget about a profit like you're just covering your costs at that point and so amazing experience, you know. I think it was last year I ran into Plaid at the show, and he he was there like tabling with a few other independent artists to like kind of try to offset that cost. Like a bunch of people split a table, that kind of thing. But it's it's unfortunate that you know it it, it is that much to get in there. But you know there are so many people there, so you know I guess it's it's got to be competitive to even get a spot in the first place. Yeah, and it's over four days as well, right? It's it's like you're not just paying for the one day. Right. So, like, say it was like just like a hundred dollars for a convention for a day or something like that, and then your cost is like four hundred dollars for those four days. Like, that's that's an extortion amount of money. That's like your rent for 
for a month or two months. Yeah. So like you yeah, you'll find a lot of people sharing, buddying up like they would if they were staying in a hotel, I guess. You know, it's just the way it is, I suppose. Well, hopefully we do get to see you uh at New York Comic Con. We'll all be there. So hopefully you do make the trip out. That'd be awesome. That'd be cool, yeah. I won't make any promises. Can't promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, if people go check your book out at comichouse.com and they buy Snowbound, then you will be able to make the trip. It's on you guys. Yes. I accept donations. <laughs> All right, cool. So we're gonna we're gonna continue on with the rest of the show, but Nori, I'm really glad to have you here. And I look forward to Snowbound Issue 2 and all the rest of the stuff that you're going to be doing. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. So we're going to jump into a game of Apples and Origins, and Pete is going to take it away with that. Sure. Uh, so Apples and Origins is a game that I uh, created for the show where basically every um, every time we're going to put a minute on the clock and we're going to go around like round robin style and uh, you have to as quickly as possible um, name an aspect of either a superhero character, a comic book, uh, well, I guess it doesn't even have to be a superhero, but it's a character, a comic, or like a team. And then at the end, um, once we have all of our, you know, uh, qualifiers, descriptors, whatever, we'll go over them once more. Everyone will come up with a name for that character, that book, that team. And then we'll all have to vote on who won. You can't vote for yourself. And person with the most votes wins. Pretty easy. Let's take the round. Kayla, you got a minute on the clock? Yep. All right. So um, just to get the order... In mind for everyone here on the show, we'll go uh, Pete, Sean, Marco, Kale, Nori, Pete. Got it? Oh, Pete gets to go twice. <laughs> yeah, I get to go twice in a row. It's my game, obviously. Um, okay, do you guys want to put any like qualifiers in like we did last time? Or you want to just go off the wall? Uh... They have to be black. <laughs> well, Sean always does that anyway. What am I going to say <laughs> then? Right, well, you know, you know what? Let's let's just let let's let Nori decide. He's the guest. We'll have him kick it off. He can do the first thing that'll set us off. Um. So, so anything you can think of, bud. Just water themed. <laughs> That's cool. Water All themed. Right. Okay, so let's we'll start there. All right, ready? All right, ready, set, go. Okay, they're also a snake person. They're black. <laughs> they evaporate if they get too hot. They eat their enemies. <laughs> They breathe through their fingers. <laughs> huh. so they have hands, apparently. They also have legs. <laughs> Go, Pete. I did. I said they also have oh, legs. Oh, oh. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, it's a woman. They separate into smaller, less soluble water. Uh, they they uh, they throw electricity from a trident. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They communicate with clicking. They're called snake maids. <laughs> That's it. Time's up. All right. Okay, so to recap, uh, our character is a black snake mermaid woman with arms and legs. Uh, she has an electrical trident. Uh, her entire species communicates in, like, clicks. Like, dolphins, I guess. Like, dolphin clicks. Um, and they breathe through their fingers. They breathe through their fingers. <laughs> And uh, was that it? They eat their enemies. Oh, and they eat their enemies. Okay. All right. So now everybody will take a few seconds to come up with a name. <laughs> this, is, this is terrible. <laughs> um, it's like there's so many descriptors. I can't come up with one good thing. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll go first. Um, 
So mine's, it's going to be Black Mamba, but spelt like M-O-M, Mother of the Snake Maids. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's good. a good one. <laughs> Mine is uh, Martha the Maniacal Mermaid, and I don't have a good one for her snake people. The Tadpoles. <laughs> Sounds like a, a 60s band. The Tadpoles? That's a good name <laughs> for a band, shit. <laughs> I got Aquarius and the Aquafinas. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, Agatha, the witch goddess, and the snake maidens. Mermaider and the murderettes. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Game over. That's yeah, I like that one. Great. Oh my god. Sick death clock reference. <laughs> All right. All right. So it's time time to cast our votes. So everyone, w- real quick, we'll go through our names again. So mine's Black Mamba and the Snake Maids. Oh, m- Mother of the Snake Maids. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, mine mine was uh, Martha the Maniacal Mermaid and the Tadpoles. <laughs> mine was Aquarius and the Aquafinas. Agatha the Witch Goddess and the Snake Maidens. And Mermaider and the Murderers. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta give I gotta give it to Nori. Nori. This Mine's one. Nori. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alright, Nori. Well, there you go. You're the first guest to ever win the show, I think, right? Uh no, I, Jess I think, won once. Think, oh yeah, no, Jess, Jess won, was our yeah. first guest champion? Alright. Well you're only number two. Sorry, bud. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody remembers number two. <laughs> uh let's do some news. Let's do some news. So actually this was a, a pretty big news week. We got some big trailers. And we're going to start off talking about one of those right now. We're going to talk about the Star Wars trailer. This was huge. Star Wars The Last Jedi got a teaser trailer, a two-minute long teaser trailer. Uh, what are our thoughts? I'm excited. I mean, it's dope It's dope that there's a new Star Wars coming. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I, we were talking about this a little off camera. It's like, I it was underwhelming as a trailer, but I'm glad that it was that way. Because it it didn't, like, give anything away. It was more or less just kind of, like, recapping where all the characters are, where we're picking up. And I'm glad about that. Like, I don't need a a trailer to hype me up for another Star Wars movie, you know? Like, I'm gonna go see this no matter what. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. Yeah, I I mean, the the trailer for The Force Awakens, or the, you know, the the first teaser trailer, frankly, all of them were really great about not revealing major uh, plot beats in the trailers. Well, and and even even uh, a little bit of misdirection. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I hope that that's kind of where this is going to go. I think I think this. I don't want to say it was underwhelming, but it kind of was in a sense. Like it didn't it didn't tell us anything, but I don't really want it to. It didn't show us anything cool, but I'd rather see all the cool stuff when I'm in the theater as opposed to in the trailer. So with those restrictions that I'm putting on it as a fan. It did its job, you know? It, it's kind of like, hey, there's Star Wars coming. You should know this. And for that, I'm glad. I'm happy that we're going to finally get the encounter between Rey and Luke. Uh, we get to see where everybody's kind of at, as Pete said. Um, and there's that classic, you know, space dogfighting that, you know, Star Wars always delivers. So, with you know, it, it's good. Like, it gives you what you expect from Star Wars. So, yeah. Uh- I'm definitely hoping for more Poe and uh, Captain Phasma yeah. out of this one. Uh, I feel like Phasma got kind of a she got kind of a bum uh, edit 
You can say uh, it. She got shafted. Yeah, I was trying. Yeah, that's that's a better way to put it. Yeah, than what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I I would really like to see her kick some ass this time. Was that Phasma in the trailer? Yeah. Yes. The silver armor and the cape. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. They're actually. Uh, I don't know if it's on the news, Sean, but they're actually releasing a a comic that shows how she escaped um pretty soon like leading up to the movie oh yeah i i I would imagine her and finn have some unsettled uh unfinished business you'd imagine yeah so so the other big trailer drop was the trailer for thor ragnarok uh this trailer definitely did show off more stuff um it it, it's a shorter trailer but it got a lot more story packed in there uh it's it's kind of kind of follows what appears to be the typical marvel uh trailer beats these days uh it's got the same kind of music like that kind of guardians of the galaxy style that we've become accustomed to um and we we get a feel for where thor what thor's journey throughout this film is going to be uh hella is in the movie which is really cool i've i've been a fan (laughs) fan of that character for a while uh and she's hella in this movie oh god (laughs) who's the uh who's the actress that's playing her too was it kate Um, blanchett yeah i think so yeah what the hell badass what a a pick badass really really i think i think everyone has been surprised by how she looks and kind of how she presents herself in this film so uh and then of course the hulk right thor ends up on this battle world kind of planet and becomes a gladiator and um he he gets into the arena and it's unveiled that his opponent is going to be the hulk and it's a really funny moment because he's like, I know that guy from work, and he's really excited, thinking that he's not going to have to fight the Hulk, maybe thinking that they'll team up and kick everybody's ass, but it turns out that the Hulk actually wants a rematch from Avengers 1. So uh, that looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. We got Jeff Goldblum in this movie, which is cool. Um, Valkyrie is a character in this movie, which I, I really am excited for, although they kind of have changed her character a bit, it appears. She's working for um, Jeff Goldblum's character, whose name I can't remember. <clears throat> um, Me neither. Yeah. But is, yeah. Is he the Grandmaster? I think he's the Grandmaster. I mean, it, it could be Jeff It could be Jeff Goldblum for all I care. Like I, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum it, as Jeff Goldblum. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, what were your thoughts on on this? Trailer? This one, I'm this one, I'm much more hyped for. I think uh, I think Thor is a character who, uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, anyway, needed the Guardians treatment. Um, not not that I thought the uh, the first two movies were bad or anything, but I I think they uh, they're definitely the weakest of the the Marvel films. I think. Yeah, uh, maybe I, I not the know weakest anyone... necessarily, but like uh, I actually I don't think, agree. Uh, I, yeah, really, I don't I, agree. I mean, well, I mean, with uh, that's with the caveats of like Iron Man two and three, like I and I would even say Iron Man two. Uh, they're they're pretty low on the list anyway. Like, uh, but I I I think uh, I I think he he needs a good fun movie, and I think. Uh, I think the the hard sci-fi angle that they're they're going to take with this film uh is when Thor was really good in the comics too. That was the the Simonson run, right? Like I think uh yeah, I think uh I think this is what is going to need 
you know, it, this is what Thor needs. Yeah, I think I think he gets a shot in the arm in this movie. Uh, it was very reminiscent for me of a lot of what's happening now in the Jason Aaron comics, just in terms of the the yeah. aesthetic and and the feel of it. Jason Aaron writes the Thor books is kind of funny. There's there's a lot more humor than like what I grew up reading, which was the JMS run, the um, that 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 stuff. What bothers me about this trailer is that. First of all, it's called Ragnarok, right? And anyone who knows the comics knows that that's kind of the, you know, Asgard ending event where all the, you know, all the Asgardians basically die, right? And well, their version of death. Uh, so for for that being the case, this feels very kind of like jokey and light when the subject matter seems like it's going to be pretty serious. Uh and you don't really get that feeling from the trailer. That's something that Marvel does a lot. They kind of hide the seriousness for the film and then present you with a, a funny, light trailer to suck everybody into the theater. I, I do want to say, like, I, I have to, I don't really totally understand where the whole everyone saying that the trailer is funny is coming from. It has one joke. Like, the very end, that thing with the Hulk is the only joke. Like, the rest of it is we see Hela destroy Asgard, uh, destroy Mjolnir. Thor get captured and enslaved and thrown in a gladiator pit. Like, just because it has Led Zeppelin playing doesn't mean it's not, like, serious, you know? Like, and that's not, like, a shot at you, but I just feel like everyone's saying that. Yeah, because it's hard to take it seriously when it has that kind of music. That's exactly why. For me, for me, I think it's, uh, the, like, you know, the, the thing is that, you know, while Asgard gets destroyed, you want to see Thor, you want to know Thor survives and there's more stuff and he's going to overcome. And I think that's sort of why that's important. Um, you know, maybe as for the music, I, I, to me, that's the music is the, this, the signal of the guardians treatment, but you know, the, the one joke, like you said, is I think, uh, you know, it, it, it's a, a show that, you know, Thor's going to survive and he's going to move on. In some form or fashion, you know, he's got to overcome. Sure. Yeah, he's a Definitely. warrior. Nori, did you have thoughts on the trailer? If you got to see it? I did see it. Um, I mean, I thought it was good. It, it was really, really fun. Um, I think it's like, we're in a really weird time just now. Like, if you said to me 10 years ago, Thor is going to have his third film, and it's going to be directed by the guy who made What We Do in the Shadows. <laughs> I doubt no way would I believe you. That, that's insane. <laughs> like the fact that it's happening is enough to draw me in to see the film, regardless of what the trailer is. It's a bit like Star Wars. Like we don't really need a trailer for Star Wars. We know what it is. Like right. that first eight seconds of the trailer with Ray falling on the ground. I was already in by that point. They could have just ended it there, and that would have been it. <laughs> with Thor, it's like. It's a little different from the previous two films. Like the second film, there was loads of jokes in that that just missed the mark. I thought, yeah. um, like it was all over the place, and that was like probably the weakest of the Marvel films, in I my opinion, from the ones the ones that I've seen. Uh, but you know, I quite like the first Thor film. Yeah. yeah, for all its flaws, this one is like it's going to be so weird. I think that's the only way to describe it. Like it's pushing for that weirdness. It's pushing for the same James Gunn weirdness off kilter Marvel movie. Um and I think it's 
the right thing to do. I think it's going to make a lot of money. Yeah, they, I think they said it was the highest. Um, it had the highest views for for a uh, Marvel trailer ever. So that's a really good sign. You know um, what they're doing with this so far, anyway, is working. And I agree with you a lot with what you said in terms of the first two Thor films because Thor two really felt like a movie that was held back because they didn't want to go all the way. Uh, that's why Malekith looks the way he does. Uh, that's why the movie is very kind of, in terms of its its visuals, it's kind of dry. Whereas in the comics, he's a very unique and interesting looking character with a unique personality. And they sucked all of that out of him. Uh, a lot of the jokes, as you said, didn't land. And I, I just feel like they didn't really know how to present him yet. But now that we, you know, we've had Guardians now, and um, they're much more willing to you know, get weird. And that's exciting. Uh, I guess... I, I think Thor 2 also definitely suffered behind the scenes a lot. Like, there was a lot of... It was very clearly a movie that suffered from the Marvel machine. Like, there was a, a director who got pulled off of it that, like, really pissed off Natalie Portman. And, like, I feel like her performance is really phoned in in that movie. Like, there's a lot of things that are even beyond that that really drag it down. And it's nice to see the idea of, like, maybe Thor can get away from all that and get a fresh start here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm excited for this film, even though I, I do have some trepidations based on the trailer, but I love Thor and I'm I really want him to get like a movie that we can all agree is is good, you know. I mean I wasn't even gonna see this movie because I was really not a fan of the first two and like we get three Marvel movies a year now, so it's like okay to skip one. But uh you know, like this I I'm interested again. Like it looks like it's gonna be a good time. And um, you know, I'm sure like obviously it'll be fun to see Thor and Hulk fight again, but it's gonna be even more fun to see them inevitably team up and kick the shit out of Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> no, they can't harm Jeff Goldblum, man. He's a national treasure. <laughs> so this is interesting. Thanos is also going to play Deadpool, or rather Cable in Deadpool too. Uh, Josh Brolin has signed on to play Cable. Uh, I actually, I really think this is this is good casting. Yeah, I'm into it. It kind of came out so... from nowhere though, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like Very for surprise. for months, that that guy that was an Avatar, I forget his name. He was like, yeah, yeah, pushing to be Cable, and everybody was like, push this guy as Cable. He looks like Cable. Really, I uh, the the one I heard that was going real strong for a long time was the guy from uh, Friday Night Lights. I mean, that's the thing is like there's been a few different actors who have been attached to the name, and a lot of people are like, "Yeah, no, like Josh Brolin's name never came up until it was like he's Cable." <laughs> <laughs> that was it, and it's good. Like yeah. he looks apart. Yeah, yeah, and he's a great actor. So, I, I, what's cool about this is that Brolin seems to be having a good time living in the the sort of Marvel Cinematic Universe, even though Deadpool's not connected to what Marvel Studios is doing, he seems to enjoy these characters. So I'm interested, though, does this mean that we're only getting one Thanos movie? Like, is it just a one and done? I guess so. Well, he's in both, right? Like, Yeah, he's in both. Is he in both? I, I, would, imagine, I would imagine he's got to be in both Infinity Wars. But didn't they say that Josh Brolin might not be Thanos in those movies? Like, I feel like I remember them saying that forever ago, that just because he was doing Thanos in Avengers and Guardians didn't mean that he would necessarily be playing him. He actually was 
he was not Thanos in Avengers One, if I remember correctly. Okay, yeah, maybe that's yeah, he, it. So like, I don't even know. He, you know, like I know that it's he's definitely he definitely is Thanos in um in Infinity War. Is he Thanos in Guardians? Yeah, I like I would I would think if he's if that's who was Thanos in Guardians, where we get to actually spend like a little bit of time with him, I I would think he would be you know in Infinity War. Like that's who they oh, yeah. down. Right. Yeah. He he, one hundred percent is, and then in Avengers one, Thanos didn't even talk. All he did was um, all he did was smile. So, yeah, right, right, okay, yeah. So yeah, this is this is really cool. I'm excited to see what they do with Deadpool two because we already have Zazie Beats cast as Domino, which is interesting too. So, this week, something took place that kind of was a week long drama involving. The artist on X-Men Gold. <laughs> Here we go. Glad you're on for this week, huh, Nori? Here's where we get serious and talk about religion. Yep, can't <laughs> avoid this one. So, Indonesian artist Ardian Sayaf uh, created a controversy of epic proportions after he drew some anti-Semitic and anti-Christian imagery uh, not only into the cover of the issue, but into the issue itself. Uh, one example is that uh, on the cover, uh, Kitty Pride is sort of standing up to all these mutant haters, and her name, or her body and her head, is placed directly alongside the word Jew in a jewelry store, or the piece of the word, or the the piece that says Jew in the word jewelry. Uh, <laughs> there you yeah, a, thank you. That's a tough way to describe that. Like in a way that's like not like, yeah. listen, I'm just describing. I swear I'm not being offensive. I'm just like, I just, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying to tell you what happened. Um, oh, maybe it's just the way the sign's been positioned. And then I saw the picture and I was like, oh, oh there we go. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that looks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so initially there was some outrage. People figured out that this was what was going on, and that's kind of where things started, and Marvel was made aware of it, uh, and they released a statement saying, you know, I'll just read the statement. Uh, the mentioned artwork in X-Men Gold Number 1 was inserted without knowledge behind its reported meanings. These implied references do not reflect the views of the writer, editors, or anyone else at Marvel, and are in direct opposition of the inclusiveness of Marvel Comics and what the X-Men have stood for since their creation. This artwork will be removed from subsequently printed, uh, from subsequent printings, digital versions, and trade paperbacks, and disciplinary action is being taken. So... Obviously. Wasn't there the, what was the interior art as well? Because that we talked about the cover. The interior had a, a reference to a specific incident in a Muslim. Country, sure. Right? So in uh, there, so there's a scene in the in the interior of the book with the X Men playing baseball, which is kind of like a classic X Men kind of thing to do on their off time. And Colossus is wearing a T shirt with the letters and numbers QS five fifty one, which is a reference to a verse. From the Quran that in the Indonesian translation translates into a warning that Muslims shouldn't appoint Christians and Jewish people as their leaders. And he was doing that because basically his explanation was that it was in direct opposition to specific leadership that he felt was um, bad. And of course, 
people didn't necessarily buy into what he was selling. And specifically, G. Willow Wilson, who is the creator of Miss Marvel, and she's also happens to be Muslim and knows a lot about this stuff. She had a lot to say about this issue. If you want to read everything she said, you can check her um, her website out. But um, she, she wrote a pretty lengthy blog post. Yeah, about it. I just wanted to read one one piece of it. Uh, she said, this is all to say that Ardian Sayaf can keep his garbage philosophy. He has committed career suicide. He will rapidly become irrelevant, but his nonsense will continue to affect the scant handful of Muslims who have managed to carve out careers in comics. From what I can deduce off of Facebook, it appears he is trying to claim the Charlie Hedbo defense, i.e. he doesn't mean anything by it. We just don't understand the nuance and and subtlety of the local bigotry. Much good may it do him. Goodbye, Artie and Syaf. We hardly knew ye, which is just as well. So... (laughs) Quite the burn. From, I know it's so good, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and of course he did have some things to say in his own defense, which again made things way worse. Did did make things a lot worse. Um, a piece of what he did have to say is, "My career is over now. It's a consequence of what I did, and I take it. Please, no more mockery, debate, no more hate. I hope all in peace." But that's not all he had to say. Uh, <laughs> Just one more thing. <laughs> yeah, he, if he had stopped there, maybe that would have been all right. But that's just not where he stopped. Uh, in an interview about the controversy with the local newspaper Jawa Pas pu- published, uh, he had this to say. But Marvel is owned by Disney. When Jews are offended, there is no mercy. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> So right, and then <laughs> any any shred of the high ground that he thought he had left, whoop, gone. <laughs> and then the the whole deal ended with his firing. Uh, he already drew for issues. You don't say. Sorry, I was like, you don't yeah. say that he got fired when he. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, <laughs> he already his artwork was already done for issue two. Um, and from there, we're not going to see him again. You know, his career is, yeah, yeah. It's already at the printers and they can't really do anything about it. Uh, but that's it. That's the end of his career. And so that saga has ended. Uh, so from there, you know, I'll just open the floor and I want to hear what you guys have to say. It sucks that he had to sort of introduce his own ideals in, in this way, you know, into a mass market like this and that they were offensive it's okay to sort of put your own opinions into your art but you also be wary of where the art is being distributed and it's being distributed here i'm sure maybe um i mean i'm not sure but uh maybe in other places it wouldn't be as big a deal uh and i mean for me at least he was standing by his beliefs and those are his beliefs that's fine but um, to some extent, I also think that this is censorship. That's all I have to say. Okay. Well, this is a show where we do debate, and you are not going to be able to leave it there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so here's the problem with that. And, and, and I think you bring up an interesting point, and I, and, and I really think that that's worth discussing. 
The problem is that that's not what comics are not about offending people, you know, and and that's not his job. And tell that to Dan Slott. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a very different. That's a very different yeah, case. Yeah. Uh, in his own book, you know, if he's publishing an independent book and that's something that really speaks to him, that, you know, he has all the power in the world to do that and people can respond in whatever way they choose and, you know, they'll buy it or they won't. But to do this in an X-Men book, especially in my mind with what the X-Men mean, it's just, it's just not, not right. I, I don't, I don't feel. Yeah, I, I agree with that sentiment. I think that specifically in the X-Men like I don't I don't think that I don't think that making a like even if he's right right like even if his po- politics are justified oh, they're not. They're not. um uh, I'm, 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 no and I yeah. and I know you're not making that case but I don't think that the X-Men is the book to make that statement you know what I mean like it's it, I, multiculturalism is like a core tenant of the X-Men and I don't think like making any kind of point however valid which we all agree it's not um it's that's not the place to do it you know like if he wants to make art that speaks to this this political view that he has that's he's well within his right to do that but in the same breath marvel's also well within their right to fire his ass totally a political message that they don't agree with that's frankly racist and then him saying a bunch of racist shit about jewish people so you know it's like i he he kind of made his own bet on this one like i'm generally with you where like i i'm I would far rather err on the side of putting out something that's offensive or allowing people to say things that are offensive or racist rather than censor them. But, you know, it, this isn't really the same thing. You know, he did work for hire and he did, he produced something that like, I think uh, inarguably he shouldn't. Have yeah. Done, and, and I know? imagine also he, there's some, there's some like T's and C's that he probably didn't follow with this kind of thing. So, I mean, I, I, obviously there was reason for Marvel to fire him, even aside from the fact that, you know, he did say these things, but you know, there's just some things that he crossed the line on probably just within his contract. Yeah. Well, and like just the way he acted about it too, is definitely absolutely grounds for being fired, you know, like for sure. Nor you seem to have thoughts on this. Yeah. Pretty much just what you've covered. Right. But he's doing work for hire on a mainstream book. It's not, I haven't read it, but I'm assuming it, the book doesn't have a antagonistic political message to the story. Uh, that content is obviously not in the script. If it was, Marvel wouldn't have approved it. He snuck it in. They've had to censor it. They've had to commit censorship on it. Um, just like, just don't do it. <laughs> he has yeah. this power. He has this power. Like artists sneak things into books all the time. They sneak a little gag in, a little joke. Someday they know a little poster with a message on it, something rude, whatever. References, references the things they like. Exactly. Yeah. Like and, and like, Sex Criminals is a book literally filled with sex jokes and dildos and just dicks <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> but like. That's what that book is about. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that that makes sense. But for him to do this on on, on that book with like he's a he's a grown adult. He's a big boy. He knows what power he has. He knows what meant like the message is gonna come across. Like 
his views. Yeah. He, he must understand how they, they don't always click into the world that he has. And he's just put them in and then not really apologized for it. He's apologized because he's been caught. He's not apologized for saying, you know what, maybe I have offended people. He's gone, like, oh, you're offended because, you know, you're all Jew lovers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, right. And, and, like, burn the house down, and that's it. And it's like, why Why would you do that? None of that makes sense. Yeah, like, he totally just doubled down on it. It wasn't even, like, uh, you know, if, if he had, like, made a sincere apology of being, like, you know what, like, yeah, this wasn't the platform for yeah. me to share my political views, like, he might still have a career, you know? Like, if he wanted to do that on social media, he would be entitled to, not a smart decision, but he'd be entitled to to do it in a book where he's doing work for hire under a contract. That's, yeah, absolutely should have been fired, and he was fired. That's as simple as that. And it is career suicide. And my perspective is, you know, hey, again, if you want to do things like that, we're living in an age where creator-owned books, you know, they're everywhere. Like, if you have something to say, say it. But don't say it in a Marvel comic because that's just not the place for that. If 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 some artist decided that they wanted to go the sex criminals route and hide dildos everywhere in the next issue of Spider-Man, that would be a problem because you can't do that in a Marvel comic, you know? Like, it is what it is. And you accept that when you sign on the dotted line and he knows. And, you know, his, his views notwithstanding... That's just not what you can do. And he should have been fired. There's I mean, no question. He, he obviously thought he was going to get away. Yeah. You know, he, he thought that nobody would, you know, would would go to that length or that nobody would catch it. And... <laughs> it's so blatant, though. It's yeah. right there. It's like what Nori said. A lot of a lot of artists do this, but they're not, you know, they do it to a to a lesser degree. It's hiding a joke, something like that. You know, you put Kitty Pride next to the phrase Jew. I, you know, we're all bright enough to see that shit and figure it out, you know? Yeah. Not to mention, it's like, that's like, when you really like think about it, it's really fucked up that to do that. You know, where like Kitty Pride was one of the first like really prominent like Jewish superheroes, you know, that like w- was like really widely popular. You know, like she's one of the most popular X-Men, you know? Like when I think of like, who's a Jewish superhero, she's probably the first character that comes to mind. And to like put this like racist piece of artwork on the cover of this new book, you know, where she's one of the leading characters is like fucked up. Like it's just not right. You know? So it's like, I'm, I'm glad he got caught. Like, you know, there's no room for that kind of shit. Like in this industry. And, and honestly, when this first came out, my, my initial thought was, okay, he's, he's, he's probably being misinterpreted. You know, this is probably a situation where, you know, we, we don't know what he meant and this is the Quran, and there are many interpretations, and yada yada. That was my first thought. This is going to be a big overreaction. And the more that this man said, <laughs> you know, it's just like, all right, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's kept digging that fucking hole. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, bye, I guess. You know, thanks, maybe. Uh, but 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 keep keep your your racism and all of that to yourself and if you really need to express it there are plenty of other ways to do it but don't do it in my marvel comics please and thank you especially not in the goddamn (laughs) x-men outlandish it's like please why don't we just put like a white supremacist symbol on a black panther cover (laughs) jesus christ (laughs) so 
now we're going to talk about Watchmen getting an animated adaptation, which will kind of lead us into our main topic. Uh, but first, I want to talk a little bit about this. That is that that was <laughs> Pete growling um, <laughs> because he has feelings about this. Uh, so a recent survey by Warner Brothers A-List Community Program uh, has revealed the studio is bringing the graphic novel to animated form. The survey further describes the film as a faithful adaptation of the Watchmen graphic novel executed in an animation style that mirrors the source material. So it's probably going to be something like The Dark Knight Returns or uh, The Killing Joke. Um... (laughs) This isn't going to have anything to do with Moore or Gibbons, or at least they weren't mentioned alongside, you know, in in this... um, in this um, piece, the survey, uh, which is unfortunate. We know that Alan Moore does not want them to continue with anything Watchmen ever again. He wanted the original book to stand on its own. That is over now. That's been over since before Watchmen. Uh, actually, it's been over since well, the he movie. Been, well, in like the movie, he was like, yeah, like I'm super excited about it. And then like he was like, no, fuck this. I'm mad. And then like then it came out and he was like, see, it sucked. <laughs> uh yeah so i mean with all the watchman stuff we've got going on in the comics right now between the batman and flash the button crossover uh dr manhattan being kind of the the sort of villain of the rebirth era uh and 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 everything that's happening with that this isn't a big surprise to me at all um and we're going to talk about this but i want to have a wider conversation about adaptations of comic books we're not talking necessarily about like making a batman movie we're talking about making the killing joke so taking a specific uh storyline or run and adapting it into a film or a television show or an animated property whatever so uh let's let's dive into that conversation and we can start by talking about this pete you are the most angry so go ahead (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's just like I really like the Watchmen. You know, I think um, I think the Watchmen is it exists in this weird limbo where I think it's simultaneously not overrated but also overrated. Like people definitely put it on a pedestal, but it kind of deserves to be put on a pedestal. But, to yeah, some degree. it's like a, it's like you know? it deserves to be on a pedestal, but somehow people put it on like a bigger pedestal. They put that pedestal yeah. on a pedestal, and now we need yeah, to just yeah, like yeah. cool it. You know. <laughs> Um, I know, like, Phil, Phil, I think, made the comment that it's, like, Watchmen doesn't deserve praise because it's the only, like, graphic novel that non-comic book readers acknowledge. And, like, I think that's a, a valid point to, to some degree, but I don't think that's why the Watchmen is held in such high regard. So I just want to make that clear from the get-go. Um, that being said, my issue with it is I don't like the Watchmen movie. And a lot of people who are not really big comic fans or people who are just like kind of casual comic book fans really tend to like that movie. And um, I have like, you know, are, are generally like very surprised by how critical I am of it. And I think my issue with that movie and it's my fear of this adaption is that it's almost a shot for shot remake, but then it totally misses the point of the book by the end of it. And I think the issue with this is like they're not going to be able to capture Gibbons art like in an, in a in this at all you know like th- that's not a thing that they can do I, I, that i think they can do realistically 
on the kind of budget that I think they're going to have for this movie, you know? And I just, do we like, do we need this? Like, do we need a lot, another Watchmen adaption? Do we need Watchmen prequels and sequels? Do we need these characters in the DCU? Like, fuck no, like we don't like Watchmen is special for being what it is and what it is is self-contained. And like that, it's one of the, like, you know, it's one of the, like best early examples of you of people like dipping their feet into that kind of stuff in a more mainstream setting you know of having a self-contained story with a beginning and an ending and a fucking point you know like these characters shouldn't exist beyond this story in my mind and i don't think this adaption is going to be close enough to the original to be worth doing and at that point it's like just go read the fucking comic you could say that about any adaptation though you could you could say go read the comic about any of these I don't well, I don't agree though, because I think you made the distinction earlier of there's a difference between adapting something and making something new that captures the spirit of something else, uh, versus like just making something again. And I think like one of the best examples of that though is like, and I guess I'm a hypocrite for saying this now that I think about it, is like I love the Scott Pilgrim movie. Because it really captures the aesthetic of it. And it is a shot a shot for shot remake of the first book, and then it's totally accelerates the middle to the end and changes a bunch of stuff. Yeah, but that um, that's what I'm that's what I'm talking about though, right? Like I, when I say that, I'm talking about these kinds of films. I'm talking about like the movies that are that are directly trying to recreate a story. So sure, yeah, go ahead. But I guess the distinction that because I, I contradicted myself, but now I'm actually gonna come back on this one. So the difference to me is like Watchmen doesn't capture the aesthetic of Watchmen. Like, it, it's not, it is frame for frame, like, a lot of the same things happen, but it misses the point, and it doesn't look or feel the same way as the comic does. Whereas Scott Pilgrim does the opposite. It does feel exactly like the comic does. It does a really good job of taking the visual aesthetic and, like, flair of that book and bringing it to the big screen and, and giving it context for a new audience. And, like, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Like, it's cool to give these stories bigger audiences but if you're just taking watchmen in name and missing the point i'm afraid that's going to happen again yeah and that's where like my like that's where my issue is with this whole thing and with any of the adaptations is just your same point they can for me it's okay if that for them to recreate one of these stories be it you know watchmen scott pilgrim um civil war you know I, i i don't care but i would like it to be as close to the aesthetic and to the idea that they're trying to capture. The big issue for me is at least for the animated stuff, like for Dark Knight Returns uh, and the Killing Joke, was they said that they were gonna capture the same kind of style, the same kind of art, but they they just they didn't. They give it this same sort of bland, generic uh DC style. It's all the same. It has the same kind of animation. I think the same studio does it. Uh and it's all just very um flat colored and very limited animation to well with the exception of um of the the dark knight because that one sort of tries to capture the, the dark knight returns i think definitely stands out above the rest of right them. but it doesn't capture the same but... th- that same sort of um hard line that frank miller provides and the killing the killing joke with brian bond's art was it, it it wasn't there they what they did was they made like they took out three scenes from the 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 comic and actually gave it that visual aesthetic so the scene where 
he uh, comes out of the the water after he's been turned into the Joker, right? And he just has his thing and his hair is all green or whatever. They, they make those colors pop. They give it some vibrancy. But then it just goes back to this flat, just muted, bland palette. They go back to when he has the the Hawaiian shirt. They make that pop because those are like the iconic moments. But it's but you're not providing that same feel to the rest of the movie, and that's where these things fall short for me. And like that's such a big part of watching. Yeah, is like the art specifically, and like the like like you're not gonna get like that it, the one issue of Watchmen. I think it's like five or six or whatever, where it's like it's a total uh, mirror image of itself. Oh yeah, like you 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 can't right. do that. You know, like that's not possible. And like, or if it is anyway, they're not going to go to the lengths that you need to go to to make it that high quality because the average person's not going to yeah, care. That's where I'm at. Like people always like when I criticize the original Watchmen, they always are like, oh, what? Like, because it didn't have the big monster at the end. And it's like, no, that's not the part. That's the problem. <laughs> Which part is the problem? What's the, what do I think is the problem? It's because what Watchmen does is like in, in Alan Moore's original, it like it subverts your expectations because it's a deconstruction of the superhero, right? Like, you're you're meant to... Like, in any other superhero comic, Rorschach would clearly be the leading man. He would be the good guy, and he's right because he's arguing for truth. And, like, the ultimate moral question of the Watchmen is the whole thing of just, like, well, like, what's more important? Like, the truth or, like, the greater good? And I think that the movie, like, it definitely doesn't provide the same context for Ozymandias and it presents him clearly as wrong or as the people that are siding with him as wrong and Rorschach is a martyr for the for truth and for the and like it's just glorifying this character that you're not really supposed to necessarily identify with and that you're supposed to question the way he like his very like you know black and white kind of logic and like I don't think the movie asks that same question like it, it wraps things up in a very Hollywood way and presents you with a final takeaway. I was going to argue with you, but then you explain yourself very well, and so you've you've converted me. That's how what I do. <laughs> I I disagree. I think, and that's fine. I think the Watchmen movie, uh, actually, I, I I really like it. I think it's good. Um, and I think that the the one big time that they that they shift away from the comic works extremely well because if if they had gone with that initial Watchmen ending people would have thought it was stupid as hell and i think they had to make that change and i know that that's not the the core of your argument pete but i just yeah i don't i don't think the monster is really important yeah like it just needs to be a cataclysmic event like whatever it is i think for me and maybe this is because i i did read the comic uh but for me it was it was clear what what they were going for in terms of the argument of um Rorschach's kind of truth versus Ozzy's like this is what's best for us you know as people i i thought that that was clear but the thing is that in 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 real life like when when there are people like him they are the bad guy like we we make them the bad guy people who are willing to make choices like the one that he that he makes are bad because he was willing to kill so many people to get where he needed to go to get where he felt like humanity needed to go and as passive observers who don't live in that world it's easy to say well yeah of course he's right but if someone was going to kill us like like if the five of us had to die right 
in order for everyone else to live, we might not feel so great about that. But I guess that's my issue, right? It's like, I don't think that the book makes it that black and white. I think the book asks you, it asks you the question, and then you as the reader are supposed to reach a conclusion on your own. And it seems like you agree with Rorschach. And that's great. But I don't think that the movie offers the viewer that same privilege of getting to make that decision for themselves. I think it very clearly casts Rorschach as being correct. I actually don't agree with Rorschach. Um, I I actually agree with uh, Ozzy, but I don't I don't know. I guess the the way you voiced that argument was, I guess, where I was inferring that. Yeah, I. Yeah, well, what I was what I was trying to say is that it makes sense why the movie presents him in that no it does it totally does but that's my problem with it they made it hollywood you know they had to do that because it's a movie and movies need that resolution watchman doesn't have that resolution in my mind it asks it leaves you with an open-ended question okay all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna shift things a little bit but before i do that i want to let nori speak his piece about not only the watchman movie but about this upcoming uh animated film okay um, so there was a film and it happened <laughs> <laughs> with everything that's happening with the Watchmen just now, it's, it's, um, for me, it's heartbreaking. Like you have this comic, you have this comic that is perfectly just the essence of what a good comic should be. And it was designed to be a comic. It's meant to be a comic. You can make an, a, an adaptation of that if you want. It's very brave to do that. But the way they're just pulling all this out, they just can't leave it alone. They just keep picking at it and picking at it so they can make money. We had the, was it before Watchmen, the miniseries thing? Like, there was no reason for that to exist other than let's make some money off it. Like, we, I, I don't know anybody that's read them. I love them. I have them all, I have them all right here in my bookcase. <laughs> are they good they're not bad or did, I, you just, did you just buy them because they were before Watchmen kinda <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest because, yeah I, I was like oh I had the Watchmen thing on yeah look I liked Watchmen because some yeah. of those teams on the books are incredible yeah, like you've got yeah. Darwin Cook doing books and mm-hmm. like that's enough to, to pull somebody in that should be enough to pull me in but because it's before Watchmen I'm not going to touch that like that's just my personal feelings on it. Like they, they threw all these big names on it so people would buy the book. People that were so against, you know, having a Rorschach book, having an Ozymandias book, all this. Oh, we'll put these incredible names on it. You know, they don't have to buy it now, and people did, right? <laughs> so, yeah. But it's just like, and now, now they're they're pushing the characters into this new reboot thing. Rebirth, is yep. that, yeah, yeah. Like, like, why? <laughs> like, what's the what's the thinking behind that? Money. You said it. You said it yourself. It's money. Exactly. It's, it's for money. It's because Doctor Manhattan created the new Fifty Two or something. So, like, people are gonna go shit. Like, I didn't see that one coming. I'm gonna have to buy that now. Not because they're like, holy fuck, it's Doctor Manhattan. They're just like they don't want to find out about the character. They want to find out like the whole kind of parades of Watchmen coming into the the DC continuity, which it was never a part of. Mm. It never belonged in that sort of 
mainstay of, of DC Comics, Batman, Superman. It was its own thing. It's kind of like, it's kind of unfortunate it happened when it did. If it happened a little bit later and it'd be on like Vertigo or something, I think that would have pushed it even further away. I don't think they would have gone back to pick the characters as much as they could. That said, they did that with like Swamp Thing and, and, and Constantine and, and all that anyway, so you never know. But it's just, you've got like this almost, almost perfect comic and the they don't want to improve on it. They want to take the bits they want from it and present them to you, like the retelling history. I think that's what bums me out. It's like they won the battle with Alan Moore, like they won the war, and now they're able to change the history of it and being like, well, these are our characters, you know. Breaks okay. my heart. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Nori. Like, I, I think it, it perverts what Watchmen is supposed to be. You know, like when you put you put the Watchmen characters in the main DC universe and just have them be normal superheroes like everyone else, like that's not that's not what Watchmen is supposed to be. I really wish that someone would find Phil right now because it is four on one and I need <laughs> my tag team partner to be here with me. Uh Phil to be a contrarian and be like, any adaption can be fine yeah. if you do it well. <laughs> so yeah, well no shit. <laughs> so so I was going to bring up I was going to bring up is Watchmen is is Watchmen not something that should be adapted is that is should it be left alone is it should it be immune from this now you guys seem to feel like it's sacrilege to adapt Watchmen at least that's the argument that you have made so far Marco you don't feel that way Go yeah. ahead. no I'm, I'm Yeah I I don't I don't think that way either and I I I haven't uh express my opinion about it i don't think watchman is untouchable but i do think if you're going to make an adaption of it there are themes and you know uh things within it that need to be addressed and honored if you're going to make a faithful adaptation and i i've yet to see uh of an adaptation do that and that's my problem with the Watchmen movie. You didn't think I agree with that you didn't too. Think that the Watchmen movie, I mean, the Watchmen movie was almost literally shot by shot. You don't think it hit on the same themes? There's a difference between a slavish uh, adaptation and you know something that is faithful. Jeez, uh, ah, it's been so long since I've even seen it. Um, I mean, like Pete said, there's you know there's. Scott Pilgrim's a great uh, it is a great example uh it it captures the essence of Scott Pilgrim and you know it's a it's a fine adaptation Uh, can can I make another small point against like where I think Watchmen misses misses the mark I think like this maybe like illustrates the point like you know I can't remember the name of the character but you know the like cat creature that he has yeah yeah the lion cat thing so yeah like in the the comic that's what his name is Boobastis yeah right so in in the comic, like he's shown to have a close relationship with with this animal, right? With the with his pet, and like that's a thing you don't get in the movie. So like in the comic, when he sacrifices her for this greater good, like that's to show that he has skin in the game too. 
and that like that he is making a sacrifice that isn't selfish or self-serving he is making a greater and like that's not a thing you get in the movie and that's like a small thing that you don't really think about but it's like that's where i get upset it's like i feel like the movie misses a lot of little things in its attempt to slavishly recreate panels yeah, yeah. that and that's what i yeah for me i think it's the one thing that really separates it from um what happens in a Scott Pilgrim versus a Watchmen movie is the way that the director stylizes it because we also have to consider that Zack Snyder he he made a he made a Watchmen movie he made a Watchmen adaptation but in his style versus maintaining the style that uh someone who would have shot the 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 movie from a more um like I'm not gonna say not directorial, but like from a a less action packed or just less stylized style, you know, right? Because like- that 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 was the big thing. Is just it was just stylized in the way he wanted to present it versus the way that it could have been presented to maintain its faithfulness. Yeah, I think I think if anything, that's the point that I believe has the most validity because you're right. It doesn't look like Watchmen. It looks like a Zack Snyder movie with the Watchmen characters. Right. It looks like Zack Snyder. Yeah, exactly. But, but outside of that, I, I, I disagree because, like, the point you made, Pete, about the cat, like, okay, yeah. you're right, but that's like, like, whatever they they didn't do the yeah, covers, so, you know. Like, yeah, like, like, but like, but like, you do because, like, otherwise, Ozymandias is just a yeah. villain. He's just an yeah. antagonist. See, but and like, that's not what Watchmen yeah. does. But I didn't. But I didn't feel that way watching the movie. I didn't feel like he was just an antagonist. Like, I, I, I watched it. But like, you said you read the comic. Yeah. Like, you have that context. I don't think like when I, I watched the movie before I read the book. You know, like Same. I saw the movie when I was like fifteen when it came out. I hadn't read Watchmen yet, and then I read it, and I was like, this is way different. I actually like the ending of the movie better because I I saw I saw the movie first and then I watched and then I read the um the the novel and I was like, huh, like why doesn't why doesn't Doctor Manhattan like why doesn't he pretend to kill everybody? I'm confused and I realized oh because like <laughs> this came first, but I kind of like the movie ending better. Well, a friend of the show Brian Del Pozo and I were talking about this on uh, Facebook the other day. He feels the same way. And like he he thinks that like the ending is better this way and it like it, it feel it's a more modern ending and it's like okay I mean that's fine I just I I don't feel that way so let's let's talk about some other adaptations and 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 we can use Watchmen as a base to have these conversations but I'm really interested in what your opinions are about some other um, works because I want to know. If this is just a Watchmen thing, or if you guys feel this way in every case. So let's talk about The Killing Joke. Garbage. Now, I haven't seen it. Oh, you haven't seen so it? I, okay. I, I can't speak uh, to I'm like... <laughs> Kale, have you seen The Killing Joke? Uh, Nori, have you no, seen I, it? No, I... Yeah. Okay. So Marco, uh, what what are your, your... You think it's garbage. Why do you think it's garbage? Um, Because of the way that they treat the characters, they do a complete disservice to... Batgirl there's aside from like the already the rape scene that she ha- that she like has to kind of go through then there's the whole making her this weak this just super feeble woman not a superhero but just a woman in a mask because one of the villains that in the first half hour I don't know if you guys know this but there's like a it's like a whole half hour before the actual killing joke starts 
It's like new stuff, right? Right. It's like totally new stuff that was just made for the movie. And she basically has to fight this guy who he's just like some petty criminal with like, I don't know, maybe he's he's a little more beefed up. And he keeps making all these like weird sexual advances at her while he's fighting. And they treat her, they treat Barbara as an object in the movie, um, even before the Joker scene. And then there's a whole, there was the whole controversy thing about um, they, her and Batman end up sleeping together. And then, then the movie starts. Like, and then the killing joke starts. And there's no, like, there was no reason to do that. Like, they were trying to build her character and make her more of a person in this in this story so that way when you see it when you see her getting uh getting shot it's more of like a shock it's like oh no this this wonderful character was like destroyed in her life or whatever but they didn't give her a life they made her a they made they just made her a a, like a piece in this a vehicle on on a board a vehicle for batman's revenge man pain yeah and it was no and it was just it was gross honestly so I I also saw it, and the reason why the Killing Joke to me not and and again not that it shouldn't be adapted. I'm gonna go oh, yeah, yeah. right now. I I don't think that there's any work that's ever been made in the history of creation that should not be adapted. I think we are way beyond that. I don't think anything is sacred. I think if you're gonna do you know whatever, do it, and then if it's good, great, and if it's not, whatever. Um, but with the killing joke specifically, a lot of the a lot of what made the book work was lost in the film, and a lot of the reason for that is that like prequel thing that they attached, like what Marco was talking about. Uh, I'm not gonna like rehash, but but I did want to make clear like it 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 takes Barbara, who if you only read the killing joke, is just Jim Gordon's daughter, and that's pretty much it. Um, in, and in that book, she is a plot device. Uh, a lot of people are upset by that. But quite frankly, there are many plot devices in comics. Uncle Ben is a plot device. Nobody cares about that. He's, he's you know, he is what he is. He died so that Spider-Man could have this mission. And that's what's empowered him for the rest of his life. Barbara Gordon's um, uh, shooting served a similar purpose. So it's not that, like, it's not like that was a... It's not like it. Okay, it, it only happened because she's a woman. No, that's something that happens in. Stores. Happened to Jason Todd too. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a common thing. So, but what the film gets wrong is that they try to add this context for her that only makes it seem like the reason she got shot is because she's stupid. Oh because my god! Because we just yeah. spent a half an hour watching her get nearly murdered by a regular man because she kept doing stupid things and she was obsessed with batman and couldn't she wasn't a hero she was just dumb and it turns her into this so, like doe-eyed like you know kind of like fan character right and she wasn't even strong she wasn't she she just wasn't the character that we know and that's why it was bad um i feel like that's an example of where things go horribly wrong I, I think, but I think the difference between this and Watchmen, though, is that in the case of the Killing Joke, they deliberately added something to the to the story that took away from it. Whereas with Watchmen, they did their 
well, they I won't say they did their best because your mileage may vary, but they tried. They they tried to stick to the original story as closely as they could. And I've heard that there's like a lot a lot was left on the cutting room floor, so who knows, right? But they tried. I think they tried. I believe they tried. Whether you liked it or not is a different story. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I don't I I, I definitely don't like Zack Snyder and like the more movies he's put out, the more that's become true. But I don't think that Watchmen is like, um, I don't think it's like an atrocious movie or anything like that. It's that like, I don't, I feel like it respects its source material without really fully understanding it. Or the worst thing is that they like sanded off the rough edges to make it more palatable. And both of those things leave a bad taste in my mouth. I don't think that the movie is even like bad per se. Like it's, it's fine. It's just I don't I don't think it's a great Watchmen adaption. I agree with your overall point. Like I don't think that there's nothing I don't think anything is unadaptable per se, but I do think certain things take more effort because to Nori's point, I think like one of the things that's so good about Watchmen is that like it is a comic and it's a comic first and it's like it makes very good use of that medium. And I think you have to recognize that when you are adapting it, it's not as simple as taking the characters and the setting and everything and putting it on film. You know, like a a good example, like again, not to rely too much on this, but I like what I like about Scott Pilgrim as a, a film is that it does a really good job of like just being a film sometimes, but then it like it just plays with comic book aesthetic, you know, like it. Like the like small things like the scene where they're like the first band practice and Kim does the gun to her head and it's uh, like the you know like blam bling, like shit yeah. like that or like the the bathroom scene where Scott's daydreaming and it's the music from the Fairy Fountain in Legend of Zelda and it's got this very clearly video game aesthetic and the P like bar that. yeah the like again like these are all iconic moments from the book but it's not just like recreating them to recreate them you know like it, it there's a love that's there and it doesn't feel like. It feels it's not like stylized, it's, but it, it's, and it is in a way because it still very much feels like an Edgar Wright movie, like the way it's edited, the way it's shot. But okay, that's fair. the thing; it's it's both. You know, it's him taking his voice as a director, but really having a reverence for the source material and like lovingly recreating moments from it. You know, and like there's a care to it that I think is like, or I guess not even like a respect for it, but like a reverence for it that is there that I don't see in in Watchmen. Or I guess that I feel misses the mark. And what's so funny about you saying that is that a lot of the criticism around the Watchmen movie is that it was too irreverent. That it was too slavish to the source material. So I think that that's I think that's an interesting. I, I think it I think it is. I think it's both. You know, because like I don't think that Scott Pilgrim is slavish to its source material. I just think it really genuinely adores it. And I think that's an important distinction. So we all saw Logan, right? Yeah. Okay. You haven't no. seen it. No. Okay. Nori, Nori so what are you doing? Oh, what? No. Nori. Oh, it's really dude. good. <laughs> All right. Let's pause. All right, guys. Um. So I'm. I'm sorry, Nori. This is the first and last appearance on the comic. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a blast. <laughs> Why don't we just pause the show, Nori? You go watch a two and a half hour movie. We'll come back and we'll continue. We'll be okay. sitting here. Yeah. Uh, okay, guys, so it's been two and a half hours later. and <laughs> <laughs> So with Logan, right, we all know that it pulls from the old man Logan story in terms of 
kind of the setting and the the feel of the movie um the yeah the vibe but anyone who's read old man logan knows that it is not like old man logan at all in any other way so do you guys see that as an adaptation in this vein or do you feel like this is not that i don't think it's that yeah i don't either and i haven't i and i can't necessarily you know speak authoritatively but because i haven't read old man logan but like old man logan from what i understand really suffers from mark millar when mark millar is like at full millar you know uh you know there's yeah 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 (laughs) when he's you never go full millar when he's when he's the the super saiyan mark millar uh you know when he really shows his power level yeah yeah yeah. there's (laughs) uh you know there's the like for me the big example is the you know the hulk she hulk thing in the whole like hillbilly hulk rape subplot yeah yeah yeah. i just like one that's not that's not to like and this is just me my opinion if it worked for you in the comic if it worked for you in other ways get help but if it worked for you in the comic <laughs> uh you know that's one thing but like for me personally i there's just so much wrong with that i don't want that in my comics is what i'll say i can't say there's not a place for that but i don't want it in my comics and so i they're just you know i think logan was pl- was it was made to it was made as a farewell for Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. I think it honestly, I think I I I think they really just uh they were just playing on the old man Logan uh name more than anything else. Yeah. Okay, hang on. Let's uh let's uh let's make Logan old. And that'll be the connection. Well, and, yeah. and it's not, and it's not only that. Like they also borrowed. Like Professor X plays a kind of similar role to Hawkeye in it. You know, like the whole like delivering a package and everything. But like like Sean pointed out when we talked about it in our review, there's like another comic where he's doing the same thing with a young mutant child. It's like I think this is like the right way to do an adaption. You know, like I think it it takes the spirit of Wolverine and a lot of good things from a lot of books and makes something that's new. And I don't think there's a problem with doing like a one to one thing, but I I honestly think this has more value. Yeah, has it, it got like more in common with something like Lone Wolf and Cub? Yeah, and it does I like a so. Wolverine I story. Think so, yeah, so it's not really adapting the story; it's seeking inspiration from other other forms of, of yeah of storytelling. Yeah, and I think that that's I think that's an important distinction. Uh, what 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 bothers me and this is more about the perception of logan than what it actually is because i think what logan is is perfectly fine i like i i think it's a fantastic movie it's one of the best comic book movies ever made uh i guess what bothers me is the perception and this is something that marvel does all the time where it's like hey we're gonna here's this movie that's based on this comic but it has nothing to do with what the comic was right yeah like Civil War. Logan, like Civil right. War is Logan, great, but it's not Civil War. 
Yeah, like Logan doesn't it doesn't try to trick you necessarily. It just it just is inspired by you know that comic Old Man Logan plus a lot of other stuff and it's not called Old Man Logan. If it was called Old Man Logan, then I would have more of an issue. But Civil War is a perfect example. I think the Civil War movie is phenomenal, but I hate the fact that it's called that because it's not it's not the comic. And I feel like they they give it this name and it tricks comic book fans like us into like, all right, cool. I'm ready for this. This is my favorite story ever. I'm going to the theaters for this. And then it's not anything like what you wanted. But like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I honestly, no offense. I think that one's kind of on you. Because how are they ever going to do that? We They don't have any of those fucking characters. Like, we knew they were going to have to really water it down. Well, I, well, see, here's the deal. I obviously know that, right? So that's why I didn't want the movie to be made. I didn't go into it expecting the comic book on any level. I was against it. I was against it having that title. And I was against going down that road so quickly. But for people who don't know that, right? For people who aren't hip, when they see that it's called Civil War, they know that there's a comic called Civil War. They read that comic. There's people there are people who go to these movies that don't know that Superman is a DC character, right? Yeah, totally. There's like I've had that conversation with my dad and shit, you know? Exactly. So they hear, oh oh, Captain America Civil War. All right, cool. This is gonna be the comic. And it's not. And then those people think Oh, well, I know what Civil War is because I saw the movie, and you don't. And these these classic stories, these great stories that, you know, may deserve to have that film treatment, don't get it. And then, you know, people who want to see these things adapted, like myself, don't get that real opportunity. And that's frustrating. I don't know, man. I, I don't really feel like I, I don't feel like there's like a lot of value to doing like a one for one remake of things. You know, like I, I don't think there's a problem with doing adaptions like that if that's really what you want to do. But like if there's like a self-contained story, like like I guess you said, like Civil War, that's fine. But the movie we got was great. You know, like uh, to Nori's point, like they used the original Civil War as inspiration and then they took it in a direction that made sense for the characters and the setting that they had. And, like, I respect that. You know, like, I, I, I like it. I like a lot what they did with that storyline. And I think the core, um, the, the, the core, core beats of Civil War are still present in Civil War, the movie. And maybe not the beats, but the themes, right? The themes of, like, you know, freedom versus control and the, the deteriorating relationship between Captain America and Iron Man. You know, these two leaders, you know? Well, hold on. And that, that might be, this might be sort of nitpicky but captain america and iron man didn't have the relationship uh in you know in the movies that they do in the books like you know yeah we were brothers like no you weren't you didn't well, like from day one you yeah. didn't like each other like but like you traded a couple, feel... you traded a couple one-liners, and now you're brothers. What? Yeah, but I, that's the thing where I think like you, there is some storytelling that I think is expected on the ha- behalf of the reader because we are shown that from the period of when they saved the world in Avengers and uh, Captain America is proven wrong that Iron Man can't be selfless or whatever. Then they're on a team together for however long between one and two. Then they go through the Ultron shit together. So it's like. Eh, like by that point they've saved the world together twice like there's respect there maybe not friendship that you're like you're saying i disagree i like through the whole thing all they do is argue and bitch bit at each other like i don't i don't see it 
In Avengers 2, Cap wanted to kill Tony for the <laughs> old time deal. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. But and, and and like, you know, I think if there was a respect for each other, they would, you know, the the whole uh Ultron's gonna drop the, you know, the country, you know, that city on on the planet, and all they do is argue and work against each other, you know, when that happens. So and and yeah, and I think like Kale, you're making my point and and I think that there's a lot of other reasons why the Civil War uh movie is not like it 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 acts as a great movie. I think it's a fantastic movie. My problem is that it leads you it gives you the impression because of the name that it's going to be like something along the lines of or close to the comic and it's not and those are it's kind of qu- close uh like so civil war is my thing right like that's that actually is my favorite and it's it's not like if by if by superheroes fighting you mean it's the same then yeah right, you got exactly it. well no but also like the entire motivation for their conflict is very similar like superheroes are they have don't have any oversight they cause a bunch of innocent people to die then there's two groups that exist where one thinks that they should register and become part of the government, and the other one doesn't. That's the main plot of Civil War. If you boiled it down to, that's all I'm trying to say. They're not exactly the same, no. But in in the movie, it has no weight because the heroes, like, you can't control any of those heroes. In the comics, a lot of the heroes that are that are being affected by this are not Hulk. And don't yeah. have the same no, ability, right. so so like it just it it had it had less weight to it as a result of that, and it was a different argument. It was an argument on a on a global scale, whereas in the comics, it's very much an argument about uh, American superheroes and American politics, and that to me, those are two totally different things. Um, but I guess the point that I'm trying to get at. With this conversation and, and like widening it a bit beyond Civil War is when when Marvel or DC do this, do you guys feel like these these are appropriate, quote unquote, adaptations of the of the source material? Or do you feel like it's OK for them to take the name and take the loose inspiration and then make a movie out of it? Do you think they should be trying to stick closer or is what they do fine? I think it depends. You know, I think like there are times where sticking to the source material verbatim is a good idea and i think there's times where innovating is appropriate you know i think um i think marvel overall has done a pretty good job though i think they do a pretty good job of synthesizing the things that make sense from 616 and then taking inspiration from things like the ultimate universe where that makes more sense you know and and trying to craft something that is unique and new and not just rehashing stuff that we've already experienced before as fans of comics you know and I, I appreciate that because if it was just a one-for-one recreation of everything, I, mean, I wouldn't be interested in watching it. Because I think mean, like, that's like, like the best example for me for that is The Walking Dead. Like if everything that happened in the show was verbatim what happened in the comics, why would I watch? To see it take place on screen. I, that's boring. Like that's you know, it's like all the you have all the air taken out of your sails because you already know what's going to happen. You know exactly what's going to happen all the time. It's like, yeah, like it's cool to see it realized by someone on screen. But like if it's just something I've already seen before, it's like that might as well just be a YouTube video. Is that a thing I want to sit in for an hour every week and rehash the same stories I already know? So Pete, can you then make the argument that because they removed the uh, Tales of the Black Freighter from from Watchmen that, you know, it's 
not necessarily a uh like it's more of an at that kind of an adaptation that you're making reference to that you can sure. sort of bend the rules yeah but i made the case that i don't think i think watchman does both to to the to improper levels like it tries to have its cake and eat it too like it wants to be a shot for shot remake but then it's not question for me i i i think it is okay when you know for in in marvel's case something something like civil war something like old man logan you know you have 70 plus years to pull stuff from to add to the characters uh in the case of something like watchmen where they're you know making an adaptation of a singular thing and especially in the case of watchmen something that's only 12 issues and they don't you know they don't hit the mark of the themes and the you know blah 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 it's it it feel it feels i don't know it feels it feels lazy and i don't i don't you know i i know Zack Snyder and and the whole crew went through a lot of stuff to get that made but they didn't do the work you know I feel like the difference is like something that's self-contained and like to Kale's point has direct themes and like a point A and a point B and a point is like a lot easier to be like, well, yeah, like something like Valerian, right? We talked about that's based on a comic. You'd want to keep to the source material on that because people don't know what Valerian is. Like you're kind of trying to expose a new audience to this already established thing. Whereas like with with these characters or with the characters like like these superheroes that have so much history, like what their like means different things to different people you know and like you have to respect all of that you know if, if you're a comic book reader who's like in your in your teens or your or tw- 20s now or whatever like some of us and you grew up reading like the ultimate comics that might be your interpretation of of what you know captain america or iron man or whoever is like and it's not exactly the same as the one that's in 616 or the one that was written when the character was first written or whatever and I think, like, it's a lot harder to say, like, yeah, well, you should stick to the source material. It's like, well, what does that mean? What source material are you sticking to? You know, like, we've celebrated the Daredevil show for really nailing Daredevil, but it nails a very specific Daredevil that's our Daredevil that speaks to us, and that's why we like it. You know, like, that's the 80s, 90s interpretation of Daredevil, or late 70s, whatever. And it's not the Stan Lee original Daredevil, and to some people, that's Daredevil. Daredevil's jokey, and he's got a fake fucking brother and all that weird shit. And, like, we don't want that. That's not our Daredevil. But does that make that any more right? You know what I mean? Like, it's all fucking relative here. And I think when you are talking about something like Watchmen, Watchmen isn't relative. Watchmen is a thing, and I think perverting that is wrong. I would, I would watch that. Yeah, okay. no, I know you okay. would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kale, go ahead. You want yeah, to yeah. So something? I'm going to read uh, Brian's quote uh, from your uh, Facebook discussion, Pete. Uh, yeah, I, Brian Del Pozo, friend of the show. Go check out his writing. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it is really important. Uh, uh, the way I look at it is this, in reference to the Watchmen ending. The comic book ending is brilliant as pastiche on the concept of comics, but I feel translated to screen it may have been hokey and wouldn't have fit the aesthetic as far as the movie dr manhattan has always been the manifestation of the nuclear arms race and eventually man-made god the idea that the nuclear arms race reaching its apex slash god abandoning humanity being the only thing that could briefly unite humanity is interesting to me and that's again from brian del pozo who uh, we're all very familiar with here on this show uh, I think he makes a really good point. I think that sometimes 
even when you are making a, you know, generally speaking, shot-for-shot remake, one-to-one remake of a comic to a film, there are certain things that may not work on film because it is a different medium. And I believe that ultimately when you do make these things, um, you, you want to make it for the medium that it's going to appear in rather than be so focused on um, remaking something that you lose sight of how different things are, are taken in when you, when you receive them on a different platform. So uh, that about wraps up our conversation on comic to film or comic to uh, uh, animated ad- adaptions and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this if you did or if you didn't let us know in the comments um, you can hit us up on iTunes where you can leave us a 5 star rating uh, or not depending on your perspective this episode does not include Phil so I think because of that we are even more deserving of, of a 5 star rating than usual uh you can also find us on social media at the Comics Pals. We're all over the place. You can reach us out. We reach out to us there. Uh, Gmail, the Comics Pals at gmail.com. You can hit us up there. You can send us a random question of the week. You can send us your idea for a main topic. Any of that stuff, we will read it on the air. Uh, also, please do tell us Phil's whereabouts. I'm very serious about that. Um, and YouTube, last but certainly not least. Definitely, definitely, definitely share that with your friends. Uh, Leave us a like and subscribe to our channel. It is hugely important. The best way to help us out is to let other people know that we are out here and that you enjoy what we do. Plugs. Uh, Let's let Nori start it off since he is the guest. So, Nori, just go ahead and plug whatever you feel like you want to plug, man. I'm going to plug me. (laughs) 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 On Twitter, at Prehistoric Frog. Uh, Instagram, Nori Miller. I want to plug the comic studio that we have in Dundee, uh, Inkpot Comics Hub. You can find us at Inkpot Comics on Twitter and Inkpot Comics on Instagram. Very simple. God, I miss, God, I miss Dundee. I wish I could be a part of that so much. It would be good to have you around. <laughs> you need to come for a visit sometime. I'll show you oh, the I, space. I, I plan on it. Definitely. And uh, we want to thank you for joining us. It was awesome having you here, and we really appreciate you sticking around with us. Well, hang on, Nori. I I would like you to thank us for the privilege of being on the show. So if you let me get to it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me on. It was a privilege and honor, and I am very humbled by your wonderful podcast family. Thank you so much, Nori. Which you are now part of. Your pal. Yeah, fucking right you are. Welcome to the Got to get a tattoo now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Pete. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, so um, if you guys want to get some more from me, you can follow me on social media at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Um, have Come have a conversation with me about art. Tell me why you love the Watchmen movie and I'm trash. Um, we'll be, it'll be great. We'll get an argument. I'll use gifts. Uh, if you want to check out some of my writing, you can go to CBR.com and um, just search Pete and Bessie. Uh, I write listicles there pretty much every week. Um, my current one is up about 15 now defunct comic publishers, a little bit of comic book history for you if you're interested. Um, and then, uh, I've got one coming up next week, probably, um, that will be all about, uh, the 15 best cartoon theme songs. So keep an eye open for that one. Uh, and then if you want to check out my YouTube channel, Slack and Slash, it's slackandslash.com or youtube.com slash slackandslash. We do a podcast every Monday called The Slackcast, all about video game news. And then we do Let's Plays on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So come hang out if you're a gamer. 
Awesome. Kale. Uh, I'm going to take a second to shout out uh, our buddies uh, at over at the Long Box. Uh, they do something that we cannot. Uh, they take comics uh, issue by issue and they review them every week. Um, and we think that's dope as hell. Uh, so keep doing the Lord's work, uh, Matt and Tyler. Um, ooh, no, that feels gross. I don't like that at all. Um, it, keep doing what you're doing. We'll, we'll let the Lord deal with you as it comes. Um, also, uh, my panels crew is at um, Edinburgh Comic Con this weekend, uh, where we are releasing uh, the second issue of uh, Sosmonaut of the Cosmonaut. Um, I read it yesterday and it's great i laughed out loud the whole time uh nori have you read it yet oh man it's good it's good oh man such a great title <laughs> uh so uh hopefully we will have that on our web store this week and uh we'll get it on comiXology as soon as we can it's sort of uh it's things take a little while to get there but uh uh, we'll have we'll definitely let you know when it's uh, when it's on Comicsology. Uh, you'll find the store at selfie.com backslash uh, panels publishing. You can find us on Facebook at uh, panels comics and then Twitter at panels comics with an X. You can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Toto in tow. That's T O T O I N T O W. Marco. Uh yeah, this week I want to plug uh those shadow people. They're a small, they're a, a small like hip hop based um and sort of jazz band uh, that also writes comics along with their with their music. Oh, so um the comics are the comics are pretty cool and uh, the music is really good. They're on Spotify. Those shadow people. Um, so I'd recommend them. And also, Matt D. Wilson, colorist, it has a Kickstarter, so go support it, because he kicks butt. Um, and you can find me at woeismarco uh, on Instagram, and woeismarco underscore on Twitter. All right, awesome. Uh, I want to plug Phil. Uh, he's missing, but I still want to you know, plug his Please uh, find Twitter. Him. <laughs> yeah, if you guys tweet him, Maybe the person who has him will tweet back at you. Guys, his whereabouts. Use use the hashtag. Where in the world is Phil San Diego? And we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna track him down. Uh, what's his Twitter? Cyborg Holiday. Cyborg, Cyborg Bebop. Cyborg now. Bebop. Cyborg Bebop. Because he doesn't understand how branding works. Um, oh. And then you can also get his stuff at CBR.com. He's uh, also writing stuff there. I know he just did one about the uh, ultimate comic um, like creative teams. So can read about uh you know the epic partnerships that uh have defined comics yes so check it out and as for me i am at sean soapbox on twitter you can get me riled up if you want to i don't recommend it but we can have a discussion uh about whatever you want to talk about guys so please please harass sean to use twitter hashtag make sean's twitter great again <laughs> again or great yeah <laughs> for the first time <laughs> yeah that's the whole hashtag <laughs> so with that we're the comics pal signing off take care guys bye guys i'm so worried about phil fuck him <laughs> <laughs> just kidding love you buddy <laughs> there it is